I'm going to get us to turn to Luke uh, 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of get ahead of, ahead of the game there. When uh, Scott talked to us about coming, he says they're in a series called Journeying Together. And I thought, and I was like, yes, what a fantastic, what a fantastic theme, Journeying Together. It's just so missional, so missional. Uh, throughout Jesus' three years of ministry, we know that he did a lot of feasting with people. We're going to be taking a look at a feast passage in a second. And everything from the story of Zacchaeus, who wanted to just get a glimpse of who this Jesus was, it's like, I want to eat at your house. And when he calls Matthew to come, a tax collector, I want to eat at your house. And then we have stories like Jesus feeds the 5,000, feeds the 4,000. We have also a wedding feast that happens where Jesus does his first and incredible miracle and so much symbolism in that miracle as well. And then we have the Last Supper. There's just a lot that happens around meals that is more than just eating the food. And I think we, every culture knows it as Mennonites, Anabaptists, or whoever we are in this room. I mean, we all have our favorite foods, our cultural foods, and it's, it's around food that kind of life happens. And Jesus, too, was, was, I think, a person that even was known kind of as the feasting guy, the party guy. And it's around food that I think we often associate family. And this is where bonds are strengthened. We have love for one another, um, and there's a real intentionality, especially if you are intentional around your meal times. It can be a real special time where you kind of catch up on the news, what's happened in the day. And as someone who's in mission, we do the same thing. I travel around the world. Oh, there we go. And you're always getting introduced to somebody's favorite dish or food or whatever. But it's around that that you actually get to know one another. And you often have deep faith conversations. So it's into this idea of eating that I want to take a look at Luke 14. Now, McLean made a mention, and I, and I think probably Scott did too, that we just came from a conference. So some of us were at the Manitoba MB conference this weekend, and a friend of ours, Nasser Al-Khatani, was the, the keynote or the guest speaker. And Nasser is from the Middle East. He is a Bible nerd like no other Bible nerd I know. He just loves the scriptures and gets into it. And so he's in our home, well, three to five times a year, and we just have great conversations. And so those of you that were at the conference, you might remember just a moment in time at the very beginning. He had us reading Luke all year this year. When I say us, it multiply. What he had done is he had taken a look at Luke and did a deep dive into it. And just the way Luke starts, you can take a look at it after church. It's a different book than the other three Gospels. It's, it's written to someone, and it's an ordered account for this person. And anyways, I'll give you the Cole's notes of he and a few other scholars really believe that Luke is actually a commentary on the Torah. And so the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, like these key books. So he says, and what we did for the year was we matched up the parts of the Torah with the section in Luke that is the commentary on it. And so what I want to do is take a look just at Luke 14 with us all today. And I'll give you a little hint. You can do your homework later. 
it's a commentary on Deuteronomy 16 to 18, that area. And you're like, oh yeah, Deuteronomy 16, I know that, right? No, you probably have no idea what's in Deuteronomy 16. I didn't. And just a little hint, Deuteronomy 16 to 18, there's lots going on there, but it's Deuteronomy is a review to the Israelites of the important festivals. The Jews have seven festivals. Deuteronomy 16 reviews the first, the middle, and the last. And that's another thing. Those of you that were there yesterday know that chiasms are everywhere in Scripture, and there's even chiasms and chiasms, which is like A, A, B, B, C, C, D, you know? And so here's a commentary on those feasts. Now, the reason I mention that is as I read through this Luke passage, it's going to be talking about feasts, and it's a commentary on the feasts. But why do we have feasts, or why did the Israelites have all these feasts? And there were times to come together, to journey together, as a time to remind each other. And that idea of remember, remember, remember God, remember God, that is a that is a theme throughout our scriptures. We get together, we journey together to remind each other of the goodness of God. So here we go. I'm not going to do all of Luke 14. We'll start off, I'll skip one section, and then we'll jump right back in. But I'll, I'll keep you up to date. And I'm going to read, I think, this is the NIV. Luke 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking a hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So then I'll skip down to verse 15. Okay, so this is where we get into this banquet. Because Jesus had just, um, the part I'm skipping is he just, he noticed that they were all kind of sitting in certain places of honor. And boy, I got a story there from Thailand, but I'll save it for next time I'm here. Um, in verse 15, he's talking about this great banquet. So when he was He's talking about a banquet, and then one of the Pharisees says, So when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the one who gets to eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. It's like, yeah. And Jesus replies, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, 
What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now I'm going to do something. I don't know if you guys do this in your church, but you're doing it today. Turn to the person beside you. What did you hear? What sticks out to you? And if the person is sleeping, in the name of Jesus, slap them with that pacifist. (laughs) All right. Right now, talk to each other. I'm going to give you a minute. What did you hear? What sticks out to you? How blessed is the one who will eat in the kingdom of God. That's how this story starts. How blessed is the one who gets to eat in the kingdom of God. And I'm guessing if I was, I'm calling that guy Asher, by the way. If I was Asher, you know, getting all fired up, there's a rabbi preaching there. Oh, how blessed. I'm thinking he's going to say, amen, brother Asher, amen. And everyone else rises up, amen, the kingdom of God. But instead, we get this story. Instead of affirming, call him Asher, we get this story. So he's trying to tell Asher and everybody else something about the blessing of the banquet, right? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus wants to describe to us and Asher what the kingdom of God is really like. And actually, if you take a look at the next parts of Luke, it's about the lost coin, the lost sheep. So there's some kingdom stuff coming, but you get to do that this afternoon. But then Jesus tells this story, instead of celebrating with Asher, he talks about the story, and then people have excuses. One is expanding their property. One's expanding the production of their farm or their fields or their workforce. And one's expanding their family through marriage. Three excuses, three specific excuses, And what do these three things have in common? Land, production, family. War and kingdoms. War and kingdoms. In Deuteronomy 20, officers can give soldiers an excuse not to go to war if They're expanding their property, increasing production, or getting married. And you're all thinking, what the schmeck? We're talking about a banquet. Why would people be giving war excuses if they're being invited to eat? I asked the same question. I don't know. So we're going to get into it. Why are they exempt? 
Well, if you go back to the Deuteronomy passage, what you find is you're allowed to skip war if those situations, and the situations have more to them. And the, all the Pharisees listening to Jesus talk will know the next line, and that is, you can skip out on the war lest you die and another person gets your land, your production, or your wife. Lest somebody else gets it. Jesus is telling this crazy story about a banquet invitation. And it's kind of like, if you avoid my banquet, it's as if it's like you've been called to war. Like you're going to your death. But I'm not inviting you to your death. I'm inviting you to life, an abundant life. The kingdom piece, too, is very similar. Like, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is land and a workforce in service to a king, a family, a royal family. So he's also kind of saying, hey, this is an easier one for me to understand, and that is Jesus is inviting you to the kingdom, and you're giving me an excuse that, oh, by the way, I'd love to come to your kingdom, but I'm building my kingdom. I'm increasing my land, my family, my production. I'll come to that banquet later. I got my own kingdom going. But in the story, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, if anyone's building their own kingdom or anyone thinks that they're coming to war, they're going to lose their life here, forget them. Go out and invite others. And it's still got room. And so he says, go even further out. And some translations even say, go to the ditches. This NIV doesn't use the word ditches or bushes, but some, like ESV, I think, does. And I want to say that the idea is, I, I think of some of my friends at Living Word Temple that go and visit the tent communities on the river. They go to the bushes, and they say, hey, we want to just hang out with you. Let's share some, some meals together. You guys are helping out with Freedom House, people that have had some, they're on the margins. Hey, let's hang out together. Let's do kingdom together. And that's here, the invitation. Jesus could have said to Asher, he could have just simply said, yes, yes, Brother Asher, you are blessed at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what Jesus wants to do. He's saying that in a sense. But had he said that, most likely the whole crowd would have gone, yeah, yeah. And skipped over the fact that he's talking to Pharisees there that were struggling with even this healing on the Sabbath. Like they had come so far away from going to the bushes and inviting people into the kingdom that they were hung up on the rules around the Sabbath healing. Like it's just, they were miles away. And had he just gone yes to Asher, they may not have caught it. But like you and like me, he tells this crazy story. And yet it seems like it's free. This banquet is absolutely free, and yet somebody's still thinking like they're going to war. And Jesus picks up on that, and I didn't read this part, but I'll do it now, and that is, Okay, you think you're going to war? So he just keeps talking to the Pharisees. Let's, let's just pick it up here in uh, verse 25. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Give ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, you're getting used to me a little bit. Someone may have fallen asleep already again, so turn to the person beside you. What did you hear in this passage? What did you hear in this passage? Something about hating brothers, building towers, going to war. I don't know what you read in there, but it's, it's three examples again. And we won't get into all the symbolism because I haven't done all that research yet. But there's pretty much a theme going on that he's just kind of moving through on looking at the feast. And then he comes and just seems to just totally switch gears a couple of times here. He uses really strong language, like hating the family, right? Building the tower. And then going to war. It's like, what? We were talking about a feast a few minutes ago. And it's like this banquet, this feast, it's a serious, serious thing. The invitation is wide open. Everyone's welcome. It's a party, and yet there's something really serious about it. As if when you go into this party you might never come out the same. And are you willing to come to the party if you knew that you might not come out the same? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? So Asher said, how blessed are you if you eat at the feast of the kingdom of God? Amen. Because you will not be the same again. And to illustrate this, I just want to tell a couple of stories that Carol and I have opportunity just to witness within the last few weeks with the first-generation church. It's kind of like 
we get an opportunity once a year to go in Acts 2 and 3 and see it at work. So we went to Thailand this time. This is first generation church. People, like, we saw people come to Christ and, and like, while we were there, we saw stuff. And it's like, we got to see them a couple weeks after, too, and see some discipleship happening. So, oh, yeah. Sorry, Lloyd and I went to, no, I can't do it. <laughs> this is the Carol part. She's got way more passion, so I should just, like, fire it up a little bit for you. We were recently on a trip to Uganda and then Thailand, and we got to visit some of our focus interns along the way, our trek interns along the way. We were doing these midterm retreats, and we also, like, threw into this trip a vision trip with our home church, the meeting place, downtown Winnipeg. We had a delegation from them meet us in Thailand, and we went and did a tour of Myanmar and Thailand churches right there. It was just crazy, beautiful, fun trip. And we got to be in a place called May Sot, Thailand, on the border of Myanmar where there's a war, and Thailand. So Myanmar, his, uh, sorry, May Sot has a lot of these young churches, 10, 15, 20 people, and they're mostly made up of refugees that are coming over. They're, we have a ministry there. We have some interns and evangelists, and they're just helping people, you know, come to Christ and try to make sense of their life as refugees, and um, it's crazy. Every week, our Myanmar pastors and interns, they go out to these little communities of squatting villages kind of between fields and that, and they share the gospel with the people, and people are responding. And so just in a short period of time, like the war hasn't been going on for very long. What's it, four or five years now? And we already have 15 to 20 little communities already growing there. Our vision team, like we got, like, man, within our first 72 hours, I think we were at six different little outreaches. Like it's just bang, bang, bang. And it's all through translation and things. So we had a moment to breathe and have a little bit of a, a chance to, to talk about what we had witnessed, what we were seeing. It's a vision trip, trying to get a vision of what's going on. And our team was struggling with a few things, and that is seeing people in the kind of poverty that we saw them. Like, whoo, some folks had never seen this type of poverty before, where you, you're a refugee, you're in a country, you can't work, you're not allowed to work, and, and yet there's not a lot of aid, and so what do you do? And you're tempted with crime, and oh, that was just rough, right? Also, had just seen incredible passion and dedication by the Myanmar people that had come to Christ and were developing these churches like, whoa, they're seeing brothers and sisters on fire for Jesus. But then they're also like talking about like wrestling with how these evangelists were sharing the gospel of Christ. So, oh, I have a picture. Uh, forgot about that. Yeah, this was one of our first church services. That's, uh, that's a church under a massive tree, big boa tree. Uh, yeah, Myanmar, just so you guys know, Myanmar guys, they're totally fine wearing skirts. It's all traditional. It's great. It's awesome in the heat. Um, next picture. Yeah, that's one of our TMP people. Uh, Pastor Bank is the one I want to talk about right now. Pastor Bank is right there talking to Perry from our church. And Pastor Bank, he's a local Thai pastor, and he was going to help us as a North American team kind of understand everything that we were so this is some, some stuff that Pastor Banks said. 
Um, you need to understand Southeast Asian Buddhism and karma. Most Thais and Myanmar people believe they are destined to hell, already living in hell. The people live a tormented life around this karma thing. It just, their life directly affects the next life or the life of their ancestors or the life of their family or their family to come. It's all intertwined together. And like, no matter how much merit you make, your good stuff, they have an innate, an innate sense that you can't make up for the bad things you're doing. Like, because often the evangelists will even say, how did you do today? And they're like, oh, not good. Did you do more merit than bad today? No. How about this week? Oh, no. How about this month? No. Oh, how about this life? No. So they're just waiting for the next one now. And the fact that they're refugees on the border and have nothing, they must have really screwed up last life as well. So they're just on a downward spiral. So one of the things that was stressing our team out was the evangelists often would start with a question like, hey, you guys want to go to hell? And we were just like, this is like from the back in the 1970s, hellfire and brimstone. Like, what is going on here? And then they're having people like, raise your hand if you want to you escape it kind of thing. We're like, what's going on? And he was like trying to help us understand the context. And he's like, let's just pretend you think you're already there and you're destined to be there. To start off with that question is just contextual. It's getting like, oh, we're on the same page. No, we don't want to, but we all know we're there. Okay. And so Pastor Bank helped us say like, so then what if you come in and explain that Jesus is a God that takes care of all merit and takes care of all sin? It's like a mind-blowing situation. What? Never heard of such a thing. Never heard of such a thing. Jesus frees me from all of that stuff. So they're like, hands go up. Now, he also said, that doesn't mean what you think it means either. It's like, because, you know, after the church service thing, we often give out some food and stuff. So it looks like we're bribing people to put their hand up. And he's like, no, no, these people are legitimately wanting Jesus. But he says, now you need to understand Buddhism in Southeast Asia. Everybody, every building, every family, every hotel has an idol shelf. And you've seen them. If anyone's traveled, you've seen them. There's like a shelf. There's idols on there. And they believe that they are like gods in there, demons or whatever. And they're like, okay, Jesus is awesome. There goes Jesus on my idol shelf. They call that kind of convert a believer. And that is they've put Jesus on the shelf. But they don't call them Christian yet. And that's when the disciple starts happening. They start getting into the stories of Jesus. What does this forgiveness look like? What's a transformed life like? And then all of a sudden, when they start to see that they take the actual idols off their shelf and things, they're becoming closer to becoming a Christian and not just a 10% believer. And you'll actually talk to some people and they'll say, yeah, I'm 50%. And what? what? <laughs> like, you hear that a lot in the church. I'm 70%. Yeah, oh, I'm 80%. Uh, and what they mean is I'm 80% Christian now. I've gotten rid of most of my other gods. And then when they finally say, I want to be baptized, that's when the church lights up and goes, okay, now we're getting somewhere. And that is they're going from believer to Christian. And often at baptisms, you'll see too, like the person will at the very last will kind of like go like this. And that is, it's very common. Their gods will be an amulet or a bracelet, like 
The demonic always want to have a manifestation. Something in the spiritual always shows up somewhere in the physical, right? And so they say, listen, I'm letting this one go. And then they get into the waters of baptism. And it's like the shelf is cleared. But then Pastor Bank points at us. Because he's Thai, comes from a Buddhist background, has enough familiarity with us Westerners. He goes, you guys don't have shelves that you can see. He goes, in my context, I can watch and help and disciple people, and I can mark where they're at. But he goes, I think you, in North America, put Jesus on your shelf. But your desire to keep your land growing, to make your family ties, to increase production, it stays there. Individualism, consumerism, materialism. Jesus is just a nice addition to my already cluttered life. And it was just like, ooh, Pastor Bank, that wasn't nice. But it was good. It was good for us as well um, to be reminded of our idolatry because we don't have necessarily our gods hanging from our, our bracelets and chains and that kind of thing. I mean, some people do. There's some rap artists that got a big money sign on them. They, they, got, they got it going on. They know what's up. Uh, you know, things like that. But we have other ways of doing it. So, um, yeah, you get it. There's lots of idols that we have. Anyway, so um, the t- journeying together piece is when you, you start to see somebody put Jesus on their shelf. It's like becoming a Christian in, in the Thai Myanmar situation. No big deal. But as soon as somebody takes a God off of their shelf, the family, their tribe, like it's very tribal, their family or their tribe or their clan freaks out. Because if I take one of those other gods off, I'm putting a lot of people in danger. Like, if you don't worship that god, we're going to get cursed. Or it's going to go really bad for us in the next life or this life. Or all kinds of things happen. So there's all kinds of pressure to not take anything off the shelf. And they need to journey together with each other. Because if, especially in our, like Nasser explained this, those of you at the conference, Becoming a Christian out of a Muslim context means you are probably losing your job, you're losing your family, you're losing everything. Is the banquet worth it? Have you counted the cost? Is the banquet worth it? Yes, the banquet is worth it. God's got it all. You will come out a new person from death to life, but it's hard. And so we do it together. We journey together. We meet on Sundays together around the world. We are now part of a church service that began way on the other side of the world, and it just keeps happening, and it's going to keep happening. We need to do this together. My last little bit, I know I'm running along here. Pastor Knott, we one of the Thai churches we went to, we got there kind of on a weekday, not a church day, so he just asked a few people to come to the church. We made a little circle, about 15 of us, just to share testimonies around a circle. And Pastor Knott's number one way to bring people into fellowship in the church and to Christ is when he meets people, he gets to know them, and he often asks them, do you want to be healed? And there's lots of diabetes stuff going on or this or that. Everyone's got ailments and it's like, do you want to be healed? And then instead of like saying, I healed you, he doesn't do that. He goes, okay. And he shares a bit about who Jesus is. And he goes, he's a healer too. I want you to engage with him and pray. And so teaches people how to just talk to Jesus about their ailments and Jesus heals them. 
And they're like, oh, on the shelf. And they start walking in discipleship and other things come up. Anyways, as we were just sharing stories, it was interesting because one lady, she's a shrimp farmer. She had really bad arthritis, which is making it really hard to do the shrimp farming stuff. And Jesus healed her knees. Like, it was crazy. And so other people in her family noticed that her production was going up, right, because of her knee thing. And she said, well, yeah, this Jesus. And so, well, they want to know about it. Well, she's like, well, what do you got to do is, like, do you want to be healed? Well, that's a dumb question. Well, yeah. Well, here, you need to talk to this guy named Jesus and start discipling this other person. And so, and she goes, I won't tell their story. They're right there. And so then this person starts telling their story. And then, well, I won't tell you. And then it's like this church is growing through healing. And one of the people on our vision team is an occupational therapist. And she's just like, oh, God, what are you doing to me? Like, this, this doesn't work in North America. So she's being stretched in her faith. It's like, is this, this is God? This is how God works? Well, right now, that's how God's working in Pastor Knott's church. But they need each other, this little community, because as they grow, they start taking things off the shelf. Their families freak out, and it's like, it's not that they hate their mother, their brother, their sisters, like we saw Jesus saying, but it's that kind of thing. The banquet's worth it. The banquet's worth it, but it might cost you your family. It might cost you your family. Oh, guys, we're done. You know what? Good evangelicals always have three points to the sermon. Quick. Ask Jesus for three points. Turn to the person beside you. See if you can come up with one. Go. What's one point to this sermon? One point. Okay, just before I leave the stage, you're making good eye contact with me, worship leader lady. <laughs> What's one point that your group came up with? Jesus first. Jesus first. Okay, now you look at somebody and call them out. Tell us a point. Anybody. And it can be below 15 as well. What's your point, Ren? Go to the banquet. Amen. Ren, you get to pick somebody. Ren's on fire. <laughs> Context matters. Awesome. That's great. Anyone want to volunteer one? It's worth it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. I did have three points, but I, these are better. <laughs> Here, I'll give you my lame ones. Uh, the kingdom of God is like a banquet feast. It's got a wide open invitation. Just go share that invitation. Just, it's wide open. Share it. The kingdom of God is like a banquet feast with a wide open invitation. No more excuses. Just lay down the idols. And number three... The kingdom of God is like a banquet feast with a wide open invitation. You're going to come out of that banquet different than you went into that banquet. So take up your cross and follow him. Amen.